The following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. book of Genesis chapter 4. I want to read our first text and then several theme texts throughout the evening. Genesis chapter 4. Now Adam knew his wife, Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother, Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain a worker of of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. Jump down, please, to verse 6. Cain spoke to his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. O Lord, we pray you're opening our hearts to your word. Deliver us from nation and sin. May Jesus Christ be exalted in our life, we pray in his name. Amen. Well, I believe Abel was the first man in heaven. If you can prove otherwise, I want to hear from you later. And I won't be offended if you wish to. He was also the first victim of murder. And he was the first to have parents grieving over his loss. When I was 13 years old... My next-door neighbor murdered his father. A number of years later, the next-door neighbor, actually two doors away, where my mother and father lived, their little girl was abducted and murdered, and they never found the killer. Last week, two women were murdered not too far from here in Leola. Now, when we read this text tonight, we see that the Lord is well aware of what is happening. He didn't say, where is your brother? What have you done? His voice is crying. 
for nothing. You don't have to turn there, but in John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus says, The devil is a murderer from the beginning and the father of lies. Should we be surprised then when in 1 John chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, we are told, Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. The devil has been sinning from the beginning and Cain, who was of that evil one, murdered his brother, says John. Now John would know something about murder because his own brother, one of the Lord's disciples, James, was murdered for the sake of the gospel. But back to 1 John, John says, And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. I have a question. Is someone hearing Abel's voice crying? I want to fast forward thousands of years to 2 Chronicles chapter 24 to give a very small capsule version. A wicked and idolatrous queen, worse than the one you read about in Snow White, murders all the royal sons of David. Every one of them dies except one. We're down to the last one. The last one that would ensure the Davidic line would progress to our Lord Jesus. And at that moment, God used a priest named Jehoiada and his wife Jehoshabeth in Second Chronicles 24 to rescue this little one-year-old baby Joash and protected that boy in the temple for seven whole years, hiding it from the wicked queen, Athaliah. It's a true story. You can read about it in your word. And Joash was crowned at age seven, trained in godliness. That wonderful priest, Jehoiada, brought down all the pagan idols that were in Jerusalem, brought down the false worship, restored the temple, restored worship of the true living God, gave his life and also trained this young boy that he might follow the Lord. And, and Joash did. He started so very well. But then in Second Chronicles, as this aged priest gets to a point where he is close to death, we read in Second Chronicles 24, 17, verse 15, but Joiada grew old and full of days and died. He was 130 at his death. And they buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done good in Israel and toward God and his house. Now after the death of Joiada, the princes of Judah came and paid homage to the king 
Then the king listened to them. And they abandoned the house of the Lord, the God of their fathers, and served the Asherim and the idols. Yet, in verse 19, he sent prophets among them to bring them back to the Lord. They testified against them, but they would not pay attention. Then the Spirit of God clothed Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest. You see the picture? The old man is dead. The one who had led them in revival and worship and restoration and following the true God. And his son, Zechariah, is clothed by the Spirit of God. I love the expression, clothed by the Spirit. And he stood above the people and said to them, Thus says the Lord, Why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord. He has forsaken you. But they conspired against him. And by command of the king, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord, in the very court where revival and worship takes place. Thus Joash the king did not remember the kindness that Jehoiada, Zechariah's father, had shown him but killed his son. Murder in the house of God. And when he was dying, he said, May the Lord see and avenge. Here's my question. Is someone, is someone seeing Zechariah's murder? Was someone hearing Abel's murder? Fast forward another 800 years, turning to Luke chapter 11. And in Luke 11, we read these words of our Lord Jesus. Verse 48, So you are witnesses and consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all the prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Did someone see? Did someone hear? Our pre existent, present Lord, as Dr. Light pointed out this morning, had many interactions with people, but the Spirit of God, a Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son of God is everywhere and saw everything. In fact, in the Gospel of Matthew, the same context, Jesus after this says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets. What if Lancaster was called that way? Oh, Lancaster, Lancaster, the city that kills the prophets. What a reputation. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you would not see your house is left to you desolate. You see, the Lord, well aware 
from the very first prophet, because Abel spoke righteously to his brother, Cain, even unto the last Old Testament Hebrew book, Zechariah, in the Hebrew Bible. You don't have that, but in the Hebrew Bible, it's Zechariah, the very last book. The Lord kept a record of every prophet he sent, every good word and deed done, every truth admonished to the people of God, when many times they would believe, but how often they disbelieved and rejected the truth. Lessons for us all. How often I would have gathered thee. We sang just a few minutes ago, no condemnation. I am my Lord's and he is mine. How wonderful when we come to Jesus because he came to us. If you believed in Jesus, it's because he came to your heart and opened your heart up to believe and trust him. I want to tell you the story. It's a true story of David. David came to Jesus when somebody handed him a Bible many years ago. And uh, he had done some atrocious things. His full name was Berkowitz, David Berkowitz. And in the late 1970s in New York City, David murdered six people innocently, not expecting something to happen. Much as when Abel came to hear what his brother had to say, perhaps he turned his head for a moment and his brother clunked him with a, uh, an instrument of... Uh, Wood or perhaps a spear. Well, Berkowitz said, I'm terrible. I, I can't. God couldn't forgive me. But guess what? Somebody gave him a Bible. Handed him a New Testament. He started reading it. And do you know that God used that Bible to turn the heart of David Berkowitz he has over 300 years that he has to fulfill for the murder of those six people. He will never get out of prison. But David Berkowitz is leading for the Lord. He actually is the pastor in a prison in the state of New York. And one of my very good friends from college, and I just spoke to him this afternoon, sees him regularly, monthly. And David Berkowitz is on fire. This is what the gospel of Jesus Christ does. It reaches all who will call on him. He saves them from their sins. Dr. Rogers mentioned a few weeks ago about Chuck Colson and having a terrible previous life, and Jesus changed his life. What an impact. Regrettably, not many people can see the change in the life of David Berkowitz, but it's true. God is working in him. And God is working in you and me. How wonderful that Jesus is reaching. How often I would gather you. He actually, Berkowitz never ever read the Bible or heard anything about the Bible. Isn't that amazing? We failed maybe in not being able to be there. Well, Jesus is gathering but let's look further in Hebrews chapter 11 and, uh, and chapter 11 of Hebrews, back to Abel. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4. Here's what God's Word says about Abel. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable 
sacrifice then came, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, we just sang, great is God's faithfulness, through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Wow. Talk about a continuing testimony for the Lord. Abel's acceptable sacrifice. He's commended as righteous, having faith, though he's dead, still speaking. His testimony spoke, but he's still speaking. And I wonder if he's hearing. God can speak, you know, without a body. The very first book of Genesis, the first chapter, talks about God speaking, and there it is. We rather need our bodies to speak, don't we? If you didn't have a body, you couldn't speak. You couldn't see without a body. You couldn't smell without a body. You couldn't hear without a body. You couldn't feel without a body. These are precious gifts. Now, imagine a conversation with me that perhaps happened, and we're going to conclude with Hebrews chapter 12 in just a moment. But in Hebrews chapter 12, we read in verse 22, and this is a verse I shared this afternoon with several people at hospice. It's contrasted with what goes before the earthly Sinai was a terrifying place for Moses and all the people of God. Nobody wanted to get near. They were afraid because of the terror of the fire and the noise and the trumpets. Only Moses dared go there as God bid him. But for a believer in Christ, and I feel this is not only true for now, but it's also true for all those who are already in heaven. Look at verse 22 of Hebrews 12. But you... You have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. And you have come to innumerable angels in festal gathering. You have come to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. And you have come to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. And you have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Now, if there was a heaven at the moment that God made the heavens and the earth, and there was, he made a heaven, he made a sky, he made the universe, he made the greater heaven, the heaven above where Paul was caught up. And uh, I believe Abel was the first person there in heaven. Now, can you imagine that Abel is transported upon his death, not even knowing 
what had happened to him, not knowing that his brother had struck him somehow, not knowing that immediately when he was having just offered his sheep and his lambs to the Lord and serving the Lord in righteousness, recognizing somehow that shed blood was so important, can you imagine him transported and waking up in heaven? And he's there because he's a righteous spirit. And as he's there, he speaks up by saying something like this. Where are the others? (laughs) And perhaps the Lord might have said, well, there are no others yet. Well, then Abel might have said, well, who are you? And he said, why, I'm Jesus. Jesus, what's that mean? Who is that? Where am I? And Jesus said, well, you're in my Father's house. There are many mansions here. I've come to prepare a place for you. But, uh, Lord, who are you? Well, let me put it this way, Abel. I'm the one whose heel was bruised. Oh, said Abel, I understand that. My father told me about it when he and mom had sinned. The Lord said, there's going to be one who will mortally wound the adversary, but he in process will have a bruised heel. Well, Lord, uh, how are you going to do that? And the Lord said, well, I'm going to do it, much like you did when you took those lambs and sacrificed them to me. Well, I didn't totally understand what I was doing. Many of us are like that too, right? And the Lord said, yes, you perhaps didn't know everything that you were doing, but I know what I'm doing. I know my sheep. And I laid down my life for my sheep. And those sprinkling bloods that you laid out were symbolic. Because, see, I'm, I'm going to sprinkle my own blood. You don't know much about what a cross is. But I am going to do that. You see, dear Abel, your blood spoke out as a victim. But as I put my arm around you, my blood speaks out as victor. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Your blood, Lord. How? You're going to die? Yes, I'm going to die. But I'm going to rise again. Oh, this is hard for me to understand. Am I going to be the only one here? Oh, no. There are going to be many, many, many souls coming to join you. 
you'll have lots of company. Dear brothers and sisters, I hope you bear with me, but can you see the glories of what is happening when somebody who is struck down in murder, if they're a believer, what a joyous union and welcoming to be with the Lord. Why, we can't unpack it enough, can we? You saw perhaps the beginnings of the festal gatherings at Buckingham Palace. But six years ago, I had the privilege with Becky uh, and uh, traveling to London, and we toured Buckingham Palace for a certain price. You cannot believe the beauty of it. About 12 years ago, we actually got into Windsor Castle again for a price. But it is unbelievable. The gold paintings on all the woodwork, the glories of the tapestries, the pictures by Rubens and Vermeer and Van Rijn, Rembrandt, all over the hallways. When you go to Windsor Castle, you see whole rooms filled with scabbards and swords and spears just neatly piled on the walls to show the authority of an age gone by and continuing to the present. And when the British put on festivities, they do it with pomp and circumstance. All the red-jacketed soldiers with their bearskin hats that are 16 inches high are pompously walking around and showing the regality of how they can serve the queen. Oh, that we would do with such regality and joy and enthusiasm in serving our Lord Jesus Christ. He's worthy of it. He's going to be there to welcome us. What a gathering this is. Innumerable angels, the Scripture says in verse 22. Do you see that? You can't count them all, nor could I begin. One of the terrifying parts of this passage is verse 23 because it says, You have come to God, the judge of all. I suppose when you and I get there, much like Abel, there's going to be a little trepidation there. Because we will answer for everything we have done. Wonderfully, the blood of Christ for a believer has paid for our sins. That's why we sang, no condemnation. I am my Lord's, he is mine. Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. About eight years ago, I was called to serve in jury duty right downtown here at the courthouse. It was quite an experience. How many of you have been on a jury? Let's see your hands. There's a few. It's sort of scary because, first of all, you don't know if you're going to be picked. But then when you are picked, there's a real earnestness about making good decisions and evaluating the evidence. We deliberated a drug situation for not very long. The decision was made in one day, uh, the day before all the cases were brought before the court. But when the judge dismisses the jury to go into a room, the difficult work of looking at the evidence and comparing notes with one another, 
And we made our determination, and we found the evidence was very clear this man was guilty of drugs. We were summoned back into the court, and then the, uh, the decision was arrived at. The judge said, what is the verdict? And the foreman of the jury stood and said, we find the defendant guilty. And the judge, uh, well, I'm a little rusty whether he made the decision then or pushed it off to the next day. And uh, the various court proceedings took place, and then we were dismissed. But, and the judge, if I said his name, you would all know him. You'd recognize him. The judge grabbed two or three of us, and I was glad I was one of them, and said, come on into my study. Wow. You know, we walked into his study, and his room was much like Dr. Rogers, only bigger and volumes and volumes of books. The laws of the land were banking where his desk were. And, you know, you see all this and you say, Hoy, look at all these laws. And you wonder, have I broken any of them? I must tell you, to me it was pretty cool to have the judge in a friendly way say, come on here. Look at my office. I want to show you around. It's much better than having him stand before you in court with his black robe and saying, I sentence you to such and such and such. You see, in that surrounding, the judge was my friend. And one of our many hymns talks about Jesus being the friend of sinners. Were he to exercise all his authority in condemning us, he knows every law inside and out. And he could quickly condemn us all, but by his mercy, by his mercy, by his love poured out on us in Christ, how wonderfully he has cleansed and forgiven us. What a joy it is to know that the God who, as the last part of this chapter says, is a consuming fire, can for the believer be his friend. Well, finally, I might just say, notice that verse where it says, you are come to the spirits of righteous men, and the Greek says, having been made perfect. See, it wasn't you and I that made ourselves perfect. It was Jesus and what his work on Calvary's cross did that has made us perfect. Perfect. The best. Not that we are, but that he is. And what he was, he became for us. That we would be the best. The spirits of righteous men made perfect. Now, I've spent a lot of time with believers that are dying. And one day you're going to die. Maybe tonight I will die. We don't know when the day of our death is. But one thing for sure, when we die, we're not going to have eyes to see, ears to hear, voices to speak. We are going to be righteous spirits with the Lord. Now how those righteous spirits hear Jesus, that's okay. Jesus can communicate. But we, we will be limited in some way to being a spirit. And so you might say, I'm not sure I want to be a spirit. (laughs) I'm not sure I want to be a spirit. I'd rather have my body with me too. (laughs) And that's coming. That's coming. One day at the last day, every one of our bodies will 
reunite with our spirits. But I would only say this, dear brothers and sisters, if the God of creation, our triune God, is a spirit, perfectly, mutually adoring, functioning, ordaining, maintaining, love, satisfaction, understanding, and compassionate and companionship in his being. God is a spirit, we learned in catechism, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being. If for all eternity past, our triune God was perfectly satisfied being in spirit, now why wouldn't we be perfectly satisfied in spirit? until Jesus comes and raises our bodies from the dead. Amen? Don't sound too very Presbyterian to me. <laughs> well, until that day, the Lord will raise us and he will deal with us. But until that day, we are looking unto Jesus. We are laying aside every weight, and we are running with patience the race that is set before us. It involves all kinds of things. It involves service, volunteering for VBS, visiting, going out there and knocking on doors and shout, telling people how to believe in Jesus. It involves praying for your missionaries and taking those cards that we put in your bulletin and taking it apart laying it on your table with your Bible and praying for God to bless each and every missionary in every field. That's work. That's the work God's called us to. Involves supporting your pastors. And when your pastors bring down the Word of God, may it act into our lives, fire into our sins, that it be purified by the blood of Christ. It involves tenderness sometimes, and it involves commitment Dr. Light pointed out this morning about sometimes the marriages of our people are ravaged by sin. Let me tell you about one person. Some years ago, I visited this person. I don't want to say his name. But I, many occasions, would visit him in the nursing home as his wife was in an Alzheimer's condition. And this brother, dear member of our church, every day, morning, lunch and dinner for the love of Jesus for the faithfulness he pledged to his wife would take the spoon and feed the liquid nourishment to her mouth patiently doing that every meal seeing that every part of her nurture and commitment even when she couldn't even talk back to him and say thank you I love you dear there he was doing it and about a year and a half ago or so, she went to glory and I visited him. And this brother in our church said to me, she was the love of my life and I miss her. We have a man doing the same thing at another retirement community. Three times a day feeding his wife. Please, when you say, I do, do. Do serve your spouse. If you're willing to die for him or her, you'll be willing to live for Jesus for him or her. That's part of fighting the good fight.
That's part of the race of looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. God enable us to look to the day when he takes us and without fear to be with our Jesus in the kingdom of heaven. And then one day, the icing on the cake, our bodies will rise from the dead. Praise be to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we with anticipation look forward to that day. And you know every heartache. You know certainly every sin. You have gathered your people from Abel through Zechariah to those whom from our church this year have been welcomed into heaven. Praise be to your name. Father, help us to walk by faith. Great is your faithfulness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.